0: Hey. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be with you today. I love Christian Newsom. He is good people. Uh, I remember meeting him on that very hot day in Orlando, and I've enjoyed watching him and coaching him and cheering for him. Uh, special young man. I'm, I'm honored to get to be with your staff and your team today. Scott Courtney is a friend. Scott worked with us at Westside Family Church for several years. I don't think we ruined him for you. Uh, I think he's still doing well and grateful for that. And I just want to say a word of thanks to you, the people of Journey Church International. You're on a God story here. Seven-year-old churches are not supposed to be where you are not supposed to be your size, not supposed to have your influence, not supposed to have your story unless God shows up and writes the story. And that's what he's been doing. So it's an honor to be with you today. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not that good. Yeah, go ahead and tell him. It's got to be God. Not that good. Husbands, if you said that to your wives, we have counselors available <laughs> following the service. It's a it's a great opportunity to be here. Let me tell you sixty seconds about me. When I hear somebody speak for the first time, it kind of helps me know a little bit about them. I am from Texas. You cannot uh, sound this bad and be from anywhere else, and I am. um, You know, I I listen to myself or I watch myself on video, and I go, "Who is this hick?" Uh, But it's just part of the package. I have one wife. That's a good plan uh two adult kids that are now each married so there are four adults that we claim is our kids and they all live here in kansas city which is awesome because that means all six of our grandkids live here in kansas city how many of you are at the grandkids part of life nothing in life is this good nothing Uh, my daughter came to me a couple years ago and said dad it seems like you love the grandkids more than the kids. And I said, seems like. <laughs> Let me help you with this. You guys were a pain in the butt. These grandkids are awesome. So I'm, uh, I'm into the grandfather role. And that is actually the role that I play here in the city as well with young church planters and young pastors. A few years ago, God started saying to me, I want you to be the old man to the young church planters here in town. And I got a little offended at that old man part. But then I began to understand that what he meant was don't run from your years, don't run from your age, leverage them, use them, pour into these younger guys that uh, need a dad, need a granddad, walk them through the stuff that you've been doing for the last 44 years. So it's been a blast. uh, I'm on staff with Restore Community Church, Restore is a 10-year-old church on the north side of Kansas City that has helped plant 43 churches in her 10 years of existence. Nobody in this town has the church plant legacy that Restore has. And uh, I also coach two groups of church planters, about 55, 60 guys that gather up every month. That's a blast. And then in the spring, I'll be starting a new campus, a new church for Restore Community Church in West Shawnee, which means at age 62, I'll be the oldest church planter in town. I'm going to find a whole bunch of young folks and work them to death. It's going to be great. So I'm honored to get to be here today. I'm grateful that your church does not have one of these signs out front that you can add messages to. Because I've seen a lot of church sign messages that I go, seriously? That's what you put up on your sign. I saw one 20 years ago. It was a Presbyterian church in California, and it had a morning section of the sign for them to tell what the morning service was about, and an evening section of the sign. So it had a.m. and p.m. And under a.m., it said, hell is for real. Evidently, the pastor was preaching on hell is for real. And on the p.m. side of the sign, it said, concert by our organist. (laughs) And I thought that would prove that hell is for real. Absolutely. I I saw one in Orlando, Florida, not too long ago, that said, wanted mature Christians only. And I thought, you have got to be kidding me. You're telling people that if they don't have their act together, they can't come? Which, by the way, means nobody can come. But my favorite one that I really dislike was one that I saw in Tennessee that said, come help us grow. Their message to to their community was, come help us. No, dear God, no. We are here to help our community, not the other way around. And that's why I love the fact that here at Journey Church International, one of the core values is this. We want to be a church that exists for the community not just in the community. Our statement is not come help us grow. Our statement is how can we serve you? How can we help you? How can we make a difference in this community? So here's the big idea for today's teaching. It is simply this. God's plan for reaching and restoring the world to himself is to have his people bless the world. To have his people bless the community. To have his people bless the neighborhood. Here's the scripture I'd like to share with you. It's out of Genesis 12. Listen to it. God says this to Abraham. It extends to all of us. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed by you. Now look at that verse. Do you see the word bless in there three times? I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing. In fact, you're going to bless the entire earth. Now, when God says something three times in one sentence, I pay attention. I know growing up, if my mom ever called me Danny Ray three times in a row, it meant you better pay attention or you're dead meat. God's saying, I have blessed you, but it's not about you. I've blessed you so you could bless others. And it's not even just about them. I have blessed you so that you can bless all the peoples of the earth. This is why we are here. To bless our neighbor. To bless our community. God's plan for reaching this world is for the people in Lee Summit in this church to bless the community so they can find Christ. And for the people in Shawnee... To bless their community so they can find Christ. And for the people around the globe who know him. To bless their community so they can find Christ. Here's how it works. God wants to use us to bless people in three places. Where we live. Where we work. And where we play. I like to talk about three spaces that we live in. We all have a neighborhood where we live. God wants to use us in our neighborhood. We all have a place where we work. God wants to use us at our place of work. And we all have some places where we play, places where we hang out. I'll tell you about one of my places in a few minutes. God wants to use us to bless people where we live, work, and play. We've been blessed by God so we can bless others. Now, that's all good stuff, right? I mean, I've heard this most of my Christian life. And I want to bless my neighbors, and I want to make a difference in my community, and I want to see people come to Christ. How? How does that happen? I'm very encouraged that a few years ago, this teaching on the idea of bless began floating around Kansas City. And it's caught on. There's a bit of a movement behind it. And it's beginning to catch on in other churches around the country. And it's a simple way to teach us how to bless our neighbors, bless our buddies in the workplace, bless our community so they can come to Christ. So I'm going to share with you today five ways to bless your community, B-L-E-S-S, acrostic, that are easy to do and easy to remember. You may want to jot these down. The B stands for begin in prayer. Nothing great happens for God that doesn't happen first in prayer. You know what Christian Newsom's actual first statement to me when I met him in Orlando was? I remember this. I was hot. Sweat was running down my face. I'm thinking I'm sitting here in the stinking sun in Orlando instead of inside in the air conditioning, talking to this guy who lives in my town in Kansas City. Why can't we talk there? I mean, I don't have a great attitude. And he says, I'm praying about starting a church in Kansas City. Had my attention. Praying about it. Long before Journey Church began, Christian Newsom was praying. All great things start in prayer. What would happen if you and I started praying for the people around us that are far from God? Now we don't have to go far to find those people for some of you. They're in your family I can remember when my six-year-old grandson who had given his life to Christ was praying for his three-year-old brother Who is a bit of a terror? And justice the six-year-old would tell me all the time. Oh Papa. We need to pray for Hudson. He really needs Jesus Some of us don't have to go far to find who's far from God, but they're in your neighborhood They're in the place where you work. They're in the places where you hang out What would happen if we started praying for them? Can I give you a suggestion? somebody prayed for you If you think you found your way to Jesus all by yourself, you're mistaken I Had a grandmother that told me when I was little and told me till the day she graduated to heaven I'm praying for you, Danny. God wants you to come to Jesus. I'm praying for you. My grandmother's running the kitchen in heaven today. Now, I know you think your grandmother is, but your grandmother is working for my grandmother. (laughs) This woman prayed me to Jesus. She prayed for it for decades. She prayed for it before I was born. She prayed for it every day of her life. What? What would happen if you and I started praying for people that are far from God? The book of James says it this way. You have not because you do not ask God. That's a scary verse. Heard a story about a guy who died. He went to heaven. St. Peter's showing him around. Now, you know, all stories that start this way are made up, right? We don't really have these people call us up and give the stories. So this guy's gone to heaven. St. Peter's showing him around. He shows him this huge, super Walmart-sized room full of gifts, full of treasure, full of awesome stuff. And the guy gets excited and says, is this my reward? And St. Peter says, no, this is all the stuff God wanted to give you on earth that you never asked for. I don't want that. I want it all. I want it all. I want all the influence God wants to give me so I can help people find Christ. I want all the favor God wants to give me so I can help people find Christ. I want everything he has for me. Everything. Including helping my neighbors come to Christ. Including changing the spiritual landscape of this city. Why not? You have not. Because you ask not. Begin praying for people that are far from God. Somebody prayed for you. The L stands for listen. Listen. Now, this is in here for a reason. Most of us know how to talk. We don't know how to listen. I'm a talker. I came out of the womb talking. I am just absolutely a talker. I talk to myself. I answer myself. I talk in my sleep. I talk when I'm awake. I talk when I'm alone. I talk when I'm with people. I talk to trees, I talk to cats and dogs, I definitely talk to my neighbors. Why? Because talking is what I do. And a lot of times we think that sharing the gospel is about us talking. Oh no, it's about listening more than it's about talking. It's about listening. Look at what Scripture says. Listen before you answer. If you don't, you're being stupid and insulting. Well, that's a wonderful verse. Isn't that great? I mean, talk is easy. Listening is a learned skill. So what would happen if you and I started listening to and talking with the people in our lives that are far from God? If we started listening, I have a friend named Kenny Copta who was here in the 815 service this morning. Kenny is a spiritual dad. it's part of Christian's family, Christian's Christian's heritage. And uh, it's cool to me that Kenny and Christian have known each other so long, nearly 20 years. Kenny started a fireside group in his neighborhood for men. Meets on Tuesday nights. On Tuesday nights, he asked them two questions. What's God teaching you? What are you going to do about it? He's reaching his neighborhood men right and left. So much so, he's had to start a second group on Thursday night. I'm told all the time men won't talk. Sure they will. They just want to know if you will listen. Listen. It's not that we won't talk it's that we don't believe anybody cares enough to really want to know and when we find that person we open up B begin in prayer L listen E's my favorite one eat eat and hang out you want to have some fun read the gospel and count the meals count the parties Count the number of times that Jesus comes to a new town and says, who's your worst sinner? I'm going to their house to hang out. Now, that is not what we do in the 21st century. I grew up in a church that was very small Baptist church, very fun, damn mental. Short on fun, long on damn, not very mental. Lots of rules. We were told, stay away from people that don't know Jesus. Really? Is that what Jesus did? Listen to the scripture. When the Pharisees saw Jesus hanging out, eating meals with these people, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus answered, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick Have you ever noticed how the walls come tumbling down when you share a meal with somebody? Or when you share a cup of coffee with somebody? When you invite your neighbor to your house, you know who I invite in my neighborhood to my house? The most ungodly, far from God neighbor on the whole street. Why? Because if I can win, that guy I can win anybody. Know who I want eat to eat with at work? The worst person in the place. Why? Because if I build a relationship with them and pray for them and listen to them and see them come to Christ, the impact is off the chart. You build bridges with people that are far from God over food and over coffee. And I'll tell you one of mine, over cigars. Now, I just lost some of you. I do smoke cigars. I don't inhale. And my wife's deal with me is you don't chase women and you don't get drunk, so a cigar is okay. Just don't kiss me after you've had the cigar. It's okay. I started hanging out 10 years ago deliberately at a third space, not where I live, not where I work, a fun place called Outlaw Cigar. It's a cigar place. It is full of some of the men that are the farthest from God that I've ever known. I love hanging out there You know what I've learned when a man lights a cigar you have a captive audience for an hour Because he's not walking away from that cigar And I don't walk in there saying hey, I'm Dan Sutherland. I'm a pastor. You're going to hell Give your life to Jesus now that's true, but it's not effective But when I go and I hang out and I meet these guys and I start praying for them by name and over the weeks and months, I listen to them. I ask them, what do you think our city needs? What do you think's going on in our world? Do you think there's a God? And if there is, what's he up to? Fifty-five of those guys have found Christ in the last ten years because I hang out at Outlaw Cigar. That's not to pat me on the back. That's to say that this works. Because the gospel travels best over relationship bridges. We think the gospel is mostly informational. No, the information's out. The gospel is relational. It's praying for those guys. It's going there and hanging out and listening to them. It's sharing a cigar and a cup of coffee with them and watching them come to Christ. They gave me a plaque there two years ago. It says, Outlaw Chaplain. It may be my proudest possession. It's got the logo of the store on it. I took it to the church office, took the plaque on my office door that said lead pastor down and put the outlaw chaplain plaque up because that's who I want to be. You can't see people come to Christ if you don't pray for them, hang out and talk to them and deliberately spend time with them. The first S stands for serve. After I've been praying for them, after I've listened to them and talked with them, after I've eaten, had a coffee, or in my case, a cigar, and hung out, I eventually will get a chance to serve them. Jesus was asked several times by his disciples, who's the greatest? How do we be way high up in the kingdom of God? How do we make our lives matter How do we win? Really what they're asking in American terms is, hey, Jesus, what's success look like? And Jesus says success is being the servant of all. Wow. He didn't say the one who dies with the most money wins. Because you know what? When you die with the most money, you're still dead. He didn't say the one who dies with the most toys wins. Because I've seen the bumper sticker that says the one who dies with the most toys still dies. It's just says, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. And then he modeled it. He lived it. What would happen if we found creative ways to serve our neighbors and our community? Now, I'm excited about the timing of this teaching today. Because you guys have Love Week coming up. I had this moment in 1992. I served as a pastor in Miami, Florida for 20 years. Miami is a third world country. There are 189 languages spoken in Dade County. It is absolutely a wild place to live, a crazy place to raise kids. We loved it. And I lived there in 1992 when Hurricane Andrew hit the southern third of Miami. At that time, Andrew was the most powerful, most deadly, and most devastating, financially expensive storm in American history. It came through on a Friday night in the middle of the night. We were 30 miles from the center, so all we lost was trees and fences. Whole neighborhoods were wiped off the face of the earth in Miami. Homestead Air Force Base did not have a building standing. It's still unbuilt. Saturday, we drove to Miami. It took us two hours to make a 30-minute journey. We had to go find Igor Alonzo because Igor and Gracie and their kids lived right where the storm came through. And they were our drummers. They were our musicians. They were involved in our worship. We couldn't get through to them. We had to go see if they were alive. We found them. All that was left of their house was half the living room and a closet attached to it. They had survived the hurricane in the closet rest of the house is gone. No roof, no walls, no nothing. So that Sunday morning, I came to the first of our three services wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And I said these words, we're not going to have church today. We're going to be the church today. Igor and Gracie's house is gone. Most of their neighborhood is is gone. They have no power, no food, no clean water. They're going to die in the next few days if we don't do something. So this afternoon at two o'clock, you're coming back. Here's your list of things to go by because our stores are still open. Go buy gallons of water. Go buy non-perishable food. Go buy Band-Aids and first aid. Go buy these things and come back at 2 o'clock with your pickup or your van or your trailer. And we're going to haul as much of this can to this neighborhood as much as we can. And we're going to be the church. Literally, our morning services lasted 10 minutes. We didn't sing a song. We didn't collect an offering. We made that announcement and sent them out. The church was about 500 in attendance at that time. At 2 o'clock that afternoon, 400 showed up to go serve. It changed our church. It changed our community's point of view about our church. And over the next months, we literally kept... An entire development in Miami from starving to death, from disease, until the federal government finally got in. Interesting, it took the federal government three weeks to reach a place that the church got in in 36 hours. What would happen if we served like that? This entire community knows your church. They've seen your building. They drive down this road. You can't miss the 47 banners. <laughs> I mean, y'all are bannerizing the whole community. They know your church. But when they hear next week that Journey Church did this, and Journey Church did that to serve his community, they're going to go, what kind of church is that? I got to go see. It's service that draws people to Christ. We begin in prayer. We listen. We eat and hang out. We begin to serve them. Here's the last piece of blessing our neighbors and our community. We share our story. Story comes last. Now, when I grew up, I never heard about anything except tell the story. I was told all the time, go be a witness. That was so intimidating. Thought I had to know the whole Bible. Thought I had to know all the questions and the answers. I'm still intimidated by that. But after I've been praying for folks, and after I've listened and talked with them, and after I've eaten and hung out with them, and after I've served them, this story thing's not intimidating at all. Listen to how Jesus told the people that he healed and the people that found salvation in him To share their story, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. That's not intimidating. That's doable. When I share my faith story after I've been praying for my neighbors. After I've listened and talked with them. After I've had them over to eat. After I've shoveled their driveway and raked up their leaves. After I've served them. When I then get around to sharing my story, it usually goes something like this. Hey, I understand that health crisis you're in right now. Can I tell you about how God walked me through a heart health crisis? And what he taught me during that time? And I share what God has done for me and how he's had mercy on me. Or I say to the man, I identify with this marriage crisis you're in. Wow. I mean, I was praying for God to change my wife or kill one of us. (laughs) And I did. I prayed for that. Let me tell you how God showed up in our marriage and how he has brought healing. And can I just share with you the story of what God has done in my life? Or, man, I remember raising a difficult teenager. Our daughter went off the reservation for eight years. I mean, she grew horns. I get it. Can I tell you how God walked us through that? I have never yet. I had a neighbor that I've been praying for, listening to, eating with, and serving that has said, no, I don't want to hear your story. Not yet. These five things are doable. And better than that, they work. And better than that, they honor Jesus. What would happen if we tell our friends that are far from God what Jesus has done for us? How cool would that be? The worst response I've ever had from a person I've been praying for, been hanging with, been talking to, been serving. After after I've shared my story, the worst response I've ever had has been, I'm glad that Jesus stuff works for you. I'm not sure it works for me. That's the worst response I've had. 55 of them at have said yes. My neighbor across the street, Angela, said yes because my wife built a relationship with her, shared Christ with her. My neighbors to the south have said yes. My community is willing to say yes if I'm willing to bless them. So here, let's wrap this up. God's plan is to bless his people, to teach them to bless others, and to bless the entire world through his church. Who will you bless? Who will you bless this week? I want to tell you about a website, and I will tell you a story, and we're done. Here's the website. The website is called blesseveryhome.com. Would you write that down? It's on your screen, so I want you to check it out. Here's what it is. It is a website where you enter your name and your address, and it sends you a list of your 40 closest geographic neighbors. It sends you their names and their addresses as a prayer list. Is that cool? And then every day, it rotates it through five different neighbors. It will send you five neighbors' names every day. So this morning, I was reminded to pray for Stefano, who is my neighbor to the south. For Pete, who is my neighbor to the north. For Angela, who is the lady of my wife, has led to Christ across the street. Gave me five names. It's also designed in such a way that there's a map on an accompanying site that goes with it where you can see where your neighbors live. (coughs) And then as you start praying for them, you click on their house and their house changes color on your map so you can see who you've prayed for. And when you've had a conversation with them, you click it again and it changes color and you see who you've prayed for and you've talked with. And when you've had a meal with them, the whole thing is laid out on this blessed strategy where you can see the spiritual map of what's going on in your neighborhood. And it'll show you the other people nearby that have also signed up to pray for your neighborhood. It is cool stuff. Now, I'll admit There are days it sends me the email that says, pray for your five neighbors. And I'm going, I don't want to pray for her. She parks her car behind my driveway. I don't want to pray for her. I want to hit her. Or at least I want to back into her car. In Jesus' name. (laughs) But it reminds me that I am here. Because God has blessed me. And he wants to bless others through me. Give it a shot. Here's the story, and we're done. Our two children are adopted. We tell people all the time, if we'd have had kids that were biologically ours, they'd have had a good shot to be dumb and ugly. But because we adopted them, they're bright and they're beautiful, and we can brag on them because we had nothing to do with it. When our son was four, our daughter was one. Uh, We were living in rural Mississippi. I was teaching at a Baptist college. That's quite a picture. And um, we enrolled our son in a K-4 program, a half-day K-4 program. Part of that was to let him socialize. Part of that was my wife wanted time with our daughter. And part of that was she needed her sanity. So after he'd been there about two months, his teacher calls my wife one day and says, Mrs. Sutherland, uh, I need a parent-teacher conference with you and your husband. I'm having a problem with your son at school. So I get home from teaching at the college that day, and my wife's panicked. Honey, the teacher called. I said, Honey, he's four. He can't be in much trouble. So we go the next day, and uh, we meet with the teacher right at noon. It's a half-day program. She gets her assistant to play with our son so that we could talk with her privately. And after a couple of minutes, she says, Well, let me get to the point. Uh, I understand that your, your son is adopted And I said, yes, ma'am, he's very proud of it. She said, that's the problem. I said, I don't understand. She said, well, he has the other kids in the room feeling bad. I said, well, ma'am, how did he do that? And she said, "Uh, he likes the word chosen. I said, yes, ma'am, we read him a book once a week. It's a book called The Chosen Baby. And it talks about how parents that adopt choose to adopt that child. Teacher said, well, he's got it down. They're feeling bad. And I said, well, how did that happen? She said, well, last week he was my assistant, which means he hands out the snack. So at snack time, he went around to every kid in the room, gave them their cookie, looked them in the eye and said, my parents chose me. Your parents got stuck with you. And I said, I don't see the problem. <laughs> if you are a Christ follower, God chose you. The Bible says before the foundations of the earth were laid, he chose you. He chose to bless you by letting you know him so that you could bless others and they could know him. And I believe God our Father is the ultimate adoption force in this world today. And when he finds a church full of people, who will love his children that are still far from God more than they love themselves. He will flood them with those kids. God blessed us for us to bless others. Thank you, Journey Church, for being on that journey. Let's give God a hand. Can we do that?